if you have a mature brand that understands that your value as a company could tank in a matter of hours, if not minutes, and you have a social media listening and analytical team ready in case, you'll be fine, or at least better than not fine. If you don't have that ready, you might be going along swimmingly, and then all of a sudden this happens, and you don't respond, and a day or two goes by, oh, it's not going to go well for you. Select CT. Hola amigos, this is the Select CT Podcast, where we talk about the digital media industry in Connecticut. I'm David DeRoche. I run the podcast program at Quinnipiac University. And this podcast is a production of Digital Media CT in partnership with Quinnipiac, the University of Connecticut, and the Connecticut Office of Film, Television, and Digital Media. This is our second season of Select CT. In this episode, we're going to talk about something called social media listening. Now, I got to admit, when the idea for this episode first came across my desk, I was like, social media listening? Do people ever actually listen to each other on social media? Sounds kind of like an oxymoron, you know? Um, But actually, that's not really what we're talking about at all. It means something else entirely. And so here to help us unravel social media listening is John Murphy. He heads up the Social Media Command Center at UConn. First of all, John, thanks so much for joining us today. Hey, you're welcome, guys. Pleasure to be here. Awesome. So, John, tell us exactly what social media listening is and why we should care about it. Great question, and uh, it's not what people who aren't in the industry think it is. Um, What it is is the ability for anybody in any industry to use a specific platform or many platforms and listen in on um, conversations that are publicly available. For example, when you sign up for Twitter or uh, you're on a blog and you comment on something you read, I don't know if people are aware of it. Most are, but some are not. This is all publicly available conversation that can be mined and analyzed. So what the industry is, is it uses specific platforms to go out there and listen in on anything Uh, that's publicly available uh, on any social media platform, uh, a website, blogs, broadcast media, whatever is digital that we are doing online is potentially sold to these platforms for analysis. And so these conversations come in and it allows marketers or brands or the authorities or anybody who has a desire to find out what is really going on out there. What are people talking about? How do people feel about a specific topic? And the topic can range from politics to how do you feel about Nike sneakers to a political movement to do you like the movie that came out last week or did you like how the Celtics played last week? It can be anything. And uh, there's always somebody interested in learning how people feel so that they can meet their consumer uh, where they, you know, where they live. And uh, so at a real high level, and I know I said a lot, it's the ability to go listen in 
and analyze all those online conversations. So as you're describing that, I, you know, a, a couple of questions pop into my head, and one of them is the ethics behind all this, which we're going to get to a little bit later. But, but before we do, you know, you're describing it you, um, in terms that I think are, are relevant to organizations or businesses. Is there a relevance or a, a need for individuals to engage in social media listening? And is that the same or is that process a little bit different? Well, these tools are so expensive that it's prohibitive, really. Right. Um, a lot of these tools, at a minimum, cost $10,000 annually. Wow. So, uh, And they go upwards of well over six figures annually. Because what you're really purchasing is data. And data is expensive. And um, it's, it's a, the, purchasing, the acquiring of and purchasing of data is a new field in the last you know, five to ten years, but certainly picking up speed. So an individual like you or I would really have, there's no value in spending that kind of money to find out how people feel unless, you know, you had your own business and you were looking to, um, you know, gather some insights that benefit, you know, maybe your career or a client of yours. Sure, sure. But it's not, yeah, it's really, at least at a detailed level, I mean, I'll take a step back. If you have a really simple tool like Hootsuite, where you publish your own, you know, Facebook or Twitter content from, you can do some high-level listening about how people engaged in your on your content and how people feel about your brand. It's very limited data, and it's real. You know, you can do that at a fairly reasonable cost, but you're really not getting a lot out of it. And, and I want to talk a little bit about the, you know, those actual tools that you mentioned that organizations would use that are uh, fairly expensive. Because I guess, you know, the process is required to gather all that data, analyze it, and make it meaningful. You know, require some pretty heavy uh, software to be able to do that. Um, but you did mention, you know, Hootsuite as a tool that individuals might be able to use. Do you think there are, you know, certainly there are not, probably not ways you can individually gather that data yourself, but are there just basic steps like social media listening, like on a very ground level uh, uh, way that just individuals can use social media listening to, to enhance their personal brand online, their presence online? Certainly, you know, to your point, they're not going to gather all this high level data about themselves and spend that kind of money on it. But are there just sort of basic steps that people can use to sort of incorporate these principles uh, in their own personal uh, for their own personal brand and personal presence online? Does that make yeah. sense? It does. And so if you if you were serious enough about your own personal content and you published from a neutral platform like Hootsuite or Buffer, um, you could gather insights and data as to how people are responding to your own content and you know, maybe find out what they're interested in that you're not publishing. So yes, you can do that. Um, but the acquisition of data at a broad level is way beyond what Hootsuite or, or, you know, Buffer can do because those are publishing platforms that do many things. A really, a true social media listening platform, that's all it does. And the way they are structured is they have agreements with companies like Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Reddit. Etc. You name it, the thousands of sources that are out there. They literally make a deal saying, hey, every you know, 60 seconds, we're going to download the latest Twitter data from you know, the Twitter you know, firehose. And 
Twitter, they'll make some kind of deal that says, okay, you can take out X amount of gigabytes per hour. It's going to cost you, you know, millions of dollars and go ahead and grab it. And then they try to resell it uh, as part of their platform to people like, you know, me as, who work at a brand. Right. And, so and it, that, that's really big time data. Yeah, that it, it is. And it sounds like fairly expensive processes. And you mentioned that. And and I guess this might be a good segue into the ethical uh, point as well, because I guess, you know, if you're if you're on Twitter and you're, you know, you expect or you're on these social media platforms, I guess, you know, you expect certain people to be able to, to interact with your, your information and your data. But uh, the idea that anybody could have access to it. Um, might rub some people the wrong way, but I imagine that, you know, as we get older and, and experience, you know, um, the World Wide web as it continues to take an increasingly larger presence in our lives, recognizing that, you know, our presence online is, you know, pretty public. And even if we are using various tools to stay anonymous, you know, certain bits of our, um, our presence is recognizable. But what, what sort of ethical considerations should people, organizations be engaged in if they are, doing social media monitoring, how should they be thinking about the ethics about this? Because it does, it seems uh, pretty, pretty intense in terms of data collection. And that term data collection, you know, might raise some alarms for some of those privacy folks. So what sort of ethical things should, should people be thinking about when they do this? Well, there's, media listening? There's, there's a few angles to look at here. One is from us as individuals, we need to all be aware that, you know, we go out on Twitter, it's free. So how, how does Twitter have thousands of employees all over the world, headquarters in New York and Silicon Valley? And uh, how does Facebook have, you know, they're one of the largest companies in the world. How do, they, how do they make all this money? And it doesn't cost us a thing to be on this platform. The way they make money besides ads is they resell all our conversations. Because, you know, from Coca-Cola to your local um, pizza shop, People want to know, brands want to know, you know, how does my potential customer base feel about a product or what are the, what's the latest and greatest, you know, buzz out there? And they'll pay a premium for that information. So we all need to be aware that if it's free, we are the product. And so from an ethical place at first, we all need to realize anything we do online is potentially sold or eyeballed by any human being in this world, that you really just need to be aware of that. Um, from, a, from a company perspective, when you're collecting the data, uh, it's really important to know from an ethical standpoint that, um, A, you're collecting legal, publicly available information, which in 99.999% you know, of the time, that's the case. Nobody's breaking those laws. But then what do you do with it? How far do you go in looking uh, into the data? I mean, you really just – all the data you can analyze and slice and dice any way you want. There's nothing wrong with that. But you really don't want to go down the rabbit hole of tracking a, a, an individual human being to find out you know, where they are and where they're publishing from today or where they're tweeting from because you – that data is out there, and it can get, it can get icky. And one of the the rules I like to share with customers who use these tools, since it's a little bit of the wild west still, the rule of thumb is if it feels icky, don't do it. it. It's just a feeling. It's like you know, if you know it when you see it, you know it when you're kind of going too far. Um, 
and because there aren't there aren't a lot of laws right now so uh you have to like take it upon yourself to run an ethical and clean shop with the data no that makes a lot of sense and i think you know you hit the nail on the head you, you know if the product is free you are the product so the idea that anything is actually free you know as the old adage goes is, is probably you know um not correct so Let's talk a, a, a little bit about that bit of it because I, I feel like that's really interesting um, in terms of you know being able to pull apart you know what is appropriate use of this data um, and also how we as online people you know should be thinking about us being the product right how do we then engage in um, online activity in a way that recognizes that we are you know our uh, our interactions and posts are potentially being bought and sold. And imagine for students uh, who are recently graduating college, going into the workforce, uh, you know, their social media presence, um, you know, especially if they're really passionate about something, uh, you know, could be um, could be something that perhaps might make it hard for them uh, to get into the workforce. So in terms of that bit of it, I know it's a little bit of a digression from, from social media listening, but in terms of just being aware that social media listening is happening, how do you think young people entering the workforce should be thinking about their online presence so to make sure that um, you know that 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 their presence is actually benefiting them and potentially in you know I guess in theory uh, benefiting the the businesses and organizations that they're actually talking about online? Yeah, this is, I could talk for a few minutes. On this this is a really important topic. Great question. Um, I th I think as each year goes by. The students that come into our program are more mature on social media and digital media than they were the year before. So it's getting a it's getting better in awareness. But we need but but people need to think along these lines. When we when we turn on the news or anything online, and we see that uh, some political candidate or some celebrity or some famous athlete said something on social media, and the commissioner or somebody is going to crack down on them for what they did. Um, well, guess what? Because if it was the NBA, for example, the commissioner of the NBA is watching through his organization what their employees are saying, their basketball players are saying. It's the same for all of you. If you go to work for IBM or Coca-Cola and you go online and you say something bad about Coca-Cola or IBM, it's going to be seen mm -hmm. and it might not go well for you at work. So you have to be really aware when you're online um, what you're doing and what you're sharing because it's being seen. Look at the uh, Capitol uprising on January 6th. Several people lost their jobs um, because they said, I took the day off from my job at such and such, and I went out there and I rushed the Capitol, and I'm so proud of myself. And guess what? You're not only uh, maybe arrested, you've lost your job. Mm -hmm. you... Because people are – these organizations, everybody's listening. And so I see, I still see some folks who are completely unawares that when they go on social media, it's just not their buddies, you know, right. engaging in the content. Their employer is, is watching. Right. So there's an awareness factor. I also find that in the United States in general, we're further behind uh, Europe, for example, and in Asia. Um, Europe has a, a law that they passed through the European Union a couple of years ago called GDPR. And it's basically a data privacy law where um, citizens have more control over their data. 
Um, so when you go, when you sign up for Google and you live in the UK, uh, or you go on Facebook or Twitter and you live in the UK or France, you can actually say, hey, I approve you selling my data to the following types of, of companies. I, d- I don't want this type of data sold. Uh, I want you to be able to see where I'm at. I don't want you to see where I'm at. Mm. There's a lot more control over your own data. The consumer owns their data at a higher level than the, in the United States. In the United States, we literally are a bunch of nitwits running around <laughs> thinking that I'm on Facebook and no one can see anything and I'm having a ball. It, it, it still is the Wild West. And uh, another good example is our, our terms and service agreements. When you buy a phone or you uh, go online to any social media thing, it might be 70 pages of 0.8 font, and we just <laughs> whip through it in oh, two yeah. seconds and click OK, right? right? Well, in Europe, they have a rule as part of GDPR where it can only be one page. It has to be 24 font. It has to be really simple. I'm exaggerating for the sake of the story. But – it's, it's basically a lot simpler, a lot easier to understand what you're signing up for and agreeing to. And guess what? If you don't agree to it, you can still get the product in most cases. We're in the United States. If you don't agree to it, you're done. You're not getting the product. So there's a lot, there's a lot more consumer protection and a lot more ownership of your own data, which empowers people and educates people. You know, that is a topic for a whole entire episode on its own. It, re- it really is. It, it is. And, you know, it, and I'm glad you brought it up because it, it seems like the that that law, the uh, General Data Protection Regulation um, uh, that was passed, I guess, I think it was 2018, a couple of years ago. Um, it, it seems to have had an impact because, as everybody knows, uh, you know, an impact in the United States, at least somewhat, because, you know, the Internet is something accessible everywhere. And, I you know, I recall you know, around that time is when all websites that you would encounter or that I would come up with that I would visit that were new, they would, you know, give me that alert that, you know, they were collecting cookies and accept or deny or whatever. And my understanding is that that was sort of a residual effect of that law. So it seems like there is some spillover, but not necessarily to the extent that they have there over in the EU. Uh, So I'm wondering, you know, and on that bit of it as well, if you are working for, uh, or you're trying to use social media listening to gain information about, you know, um, what's going on in your with your customers. What are they saying about your product? What do they like? What do they not like? Um, how does that play out with those different rules um, in terms of tracking information? If you're if you have a, a company that has an international presence, can you get the same kind of data from uh, your customers over in Europe that you can from the United States? Uh, another great question that all of us in the industry are learning about, and it changes every quarter. Um, what we're seeing so far is consumers in Europe are not opting out. They're not giving us less data. They're giving us pretty much the same inf- hmm. the same level of data. They just feel it just it, they own it more. They're mm. okay with it. It's like, okay, I'm okay with you selling my data because that means when I land on my vacation trip, I get I get a message saying, here's the best pizza in New Orleans. I want that. Um, they, they just own it better. They're not giving us really any less data uh, overall. So the quality of data that I see in Europe, the volume might not be as high, but the quality is just as good. And in some cases, it's probably even better because people own the data and they're sharing hmm. Um, a little bit more. So we're not really seeing a degradation of data between, for example, the Euro- European Union and the United States. 
The volume's a little bit less, um, but the quality is just as solid. That's really interesting. It, it almost seems like a psychological thing, right? If if people are empowered and just told in a respectful way that's not you know demeaning or overly intellectual, like a lot of those um, those agreements that we sign seem to be here. You know that that they're just accepting of it and they recognize hey this is the world we live in and then you know that's fine take it that's really interesting i want to ask you a, a little bit of a uh a a sort of hypothetical question and it might be a little bit out of left field but i want to hear your take on it um because just given like what happened with the recent GameStop um phenomenon with the reddit community going out there and and going onto social media and you know boosting up the stock price of GameStop. I'm wondering if something like that could happen in uh, to a company that's engaged in social media listening. So, just as a hypothetical example, say a Reddit community comes together and they say, you know, well, we really hate Nike, and you know, we're going to go into these different social media platforms and we're going to, you know, really trash a specific thing about them. And then Nike ends up using that data and assumes that it's you know real commentary, and then they end up changing a product. I know that's again, it's kind of a a super hypothetical uh, question to you, but but do you think that's something that could happen? And should companies or people be uh, be be worried about something like that happening? I think if a company is immature and unaware from a social listening perspective, it could happen. Um, it's the new world we live in. But what I'm starting to see, and I've been I've been in this field, gosh, almost maybe eight to ten years when it first started. And it's taken this long for most brands to really understand the seriousness of this field and its potential, both good and bad. So if you're Nike in this particular use case example, they should have uh, a whole team of social media listeners and analysts who are watching these things occur live. They should have a command center where they're watching the conversation. And if something like this occurs, they'll be able to see that something out of the ordinary is happening right now. And they should have a plan in place as to how to respond to kill it or to respond to it appropriately um, before it gets out of control. Now, not everybody's doing that yet. Uh, I get a lot of you know calls or inquiries to help people with their social media crisis centers. But this is important. I'll give you a real simple, and now it's an old use case, but remember when the man got dragged off the plane, United Airlines? Yep. Well, United Airlines clearly was tone deaf and wasn't listening to what was happening on social media because that went viral on social media before it ever hit the news. Mm. Their brand got trashed for several hours before they responded. Um, I don't know why because I don't have access to, to their decision makers. But from an observer's point of view, um, they, they just were tone deaf. And then they responded. For example, the crisis, let's say it occurred on Twitter. They responded through a public relations statement. Right. Well, if the crisis is on Twitter, you've got to respond go to Twitter. on Twitter. Yep. Um, and you and you can kill these things and come out with your own uh, counter immediately if you're listening. So to answer your question is, if you have a mature brand that understands that your value as a company could tank in a matter of hours, if not minutes, uh, and you have a social media listening and analytical team ready in case, you'll be fine or at least better than not fine. <laughs> if you don't have that ready, 
you might be going along swimmingly like your use case example shared and then all of a sudden this happens and you don't respond and a day or two goes by oh you it's not going to go well for you and I, I imagine that's probably something that some of the older companies might be struggling with right it's still right. you know when a crisis happens issue the pr statement which is you know the time tested you know method of of addressing crises but to your point you know in the modern age if you know where the crisis is taking place is definitely probably where you want to be addressing it and asap right yeah, if, if a whole bunch of people, like um, what happened in GameStop, a bunch of 20-something-year-olds are out there on a social media platform, and they're creating this situation. And A, you don't find out about it uh, for hours. B, you create a PR statement that no one will ever see. <laughs> right. Um, and then maybe you respond to your local or national news broadcast the next day. You've already lost billions <laughs> oh, in value. Can't even imagine, right? Yeah. And it's you're absolutely right. It's the older brands that struggle with making this shift. So, John, I, I feel like we could talk about this for a while, but I know our probably listeners have a million things to do today. Um, but I would want to ask if you have any final thoughts or advice you could share with recent college grads who are either a interested in pursuing this kind of work, like learning more about what this looks like in a career to be listening in on social media and using that data to make informed decisions or be just being aware that it's a, a thing that exists out there generally. What sort of advice can you share to recent college grads? Uh, I think it's similar advice I give to uh, the students I currently have, and it's this. Um, whether you're a creative person, a technical person, or a business person, Social media, digital media data will be part of your job. There's no getting around it anymore. Um, no matter where you work at a company, no matter the size of the brand or what your responsibilities are, you will be in meetings at some point on a regular basis with someone called a digital analyst, a social media listener. You know, Every company calls it something different. And you will need to understand the value of what consumers are saying in order to make decisions or get products or projects approved. So it's very important to understand the connection between social media listening, uh, digital listening analysis, and work just in general. So it's, it's going to be part of your life no matter what. So it's best to get on board and figure out what it is. The other advice I give is um, if you're really passionate about it and you want to get into the field itself, um, you know, I, you know, I, I go out to LinkedIn, go out to LinkedIn and, and uh, join some social media listening groups that are popular and you'll start to see the brand names like Talkwalker or Brandwatch or Melt, Meltwater or Netbase. There's a whole bunch of brands that, um, product and platforms where people are talking about this field all the time. The field is fascinating. It's changing every day. It's a combination of sleuth work, um, social media knowledge. Um, it's not math. I know a lot of students think it's math. It's not math. It's more like analysis and it's fun. It's a lot of fun. And you can find out what, what's really going on in the world if you get good at this. It's pretty cool. All right. Very cool. Social media listening. Don't discount it. Make sure you understand what it is. Thanks so much, John Murphy, for joining me today to talk about social media listening. I really appreciate it, John. Thanks for joining us on Select CT. Oh, you're very welcome. Thanks for having me and thanks for the time today, guys. 
Select CT is a podcast production of Digital Media CT in partnership with Quinnipiac University, the University of Connecticut, and the Connecticut Office of Film, Television, and Digital Media. Check us out on Instagram and Twitter at Digital Media CT. That's Digital Media underscore CT. Tell us what you think about our show. We'd love to hear from you. You can also follow me on Twitter at SavingEJ. Don't forget to subscribe to the podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and other apps. If you want to learn more about the digital media landscape in Connecticut, visit digitalmediact.com. The producer of Select CT is Justin Matley. Matt Warwood is our executive producer. Our marketing coordinator is Marvin Lewis. I'm David Roche. Thanks so much for listening. Now get out there and make some media. Select CT.